Praise the Lord. I trust that you will be ready and fully have full capacity to receive everything that the Lord has for you today. And what He has already prepared in sound and song will continue to minister to you in the Word of God. And that by the time you're ready to leave here today, you would have experienced the richness of the Word of God, the love of God, the Spirit of God, His presence, and all that He has for you going forward. Amen. Amen. You in agreement? Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you. How many of you uh, like to have fun and enjoy life? And the other people just, you just want to be dead half the time. You want to kind of, you don't like to have fun? You don't like to have joy? If I talk about fun and joy and you're so unresponsive, I don't know what's going to happen when you get serious. Huh? Pastor Christy and I were doing a wedding this uh, on Friday and uh, so I just want to give you an insight of what your pastors talk about when you when we're just waiting around she said to me uh, Pastor John do you know about this joke <laughs> now to be fair I'm sure I've heard the joke somewhere before from someone else but coming from Pastor Christy it adds a whole new dimension <laughs> She says, have you heard about these two old men sitting on the, on the veranda? And the one says, yeah. And the other one says, near. And in between there's these long, long pauses, you know. Yeah, said the other man. And near, said the other man. And so then a third guy comes and stands on the, on the veranda there. And after a while he says, yeah, near. And the one guy looks at the other guy and says, hear him on Pratafil. That was the joke that Pastor Christie told me while we were waiting to do a wedding ceremony on Friday. <laughs> Listen, we all got to find moments of joy and fun everywhere. And so I wanted you to know that I, I, I believe it's in the heart of God that we find joy and peace and Happy moments throughout life, right? I mean, God, if God's a good God, then He means everything for us, for it to be good. And if He wants us to, uh, I mean, he, He talks in the book of John and He says, I wish that your joy may be full. And so you could have, you can have full joy, full joy. And so, uh, I certainly believe in this. I, I, Pastor Sharon and I, I think part of the reason we, we have uh, such good things in our marriage is because we take time to have joy. We have spiritual joy and we have natural joy. I mean, I can tell you about some joy that she had this week. She came to show me on her website something that she wanted to buy. And so when she came to look at me, I said, wow, babe, that's really, really rich. you like that? I said, it's, it's wow. She says, I think I want to buy this. I said, well, what are you waiting for, babes? 
you know, don't let grass grow under your feet. Really? I said, yeah, it's, it's stunning. Okay, she got some, she found Miranda actually because Miranda buy this on the website for me, da, 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 you know. She's a little uncertain something. She doesn't ask me, she finds Miranda. Miranda, <laughs> order it for me, please. Then Miranda finds me and says, if it needs an OTP, dad, be ready, you know, like, okay, you know. Fortunately, we don't always need OTPs or whatever they are, but it's joy. Good things for us to enjoy. Amen. And so some people get joy out of buying things. Pastor Sharon is the prime one amongst that. Her and Brother Jerry, they walk hand in hand. Let me tell you, if Brother Jerry sees a mall anywhere, he's going in there. And if he sees a good Italian man's clothing shop, you can't keep him out of it with wild horses. You know, and never mind a sunglass place. I don't know I've seen any man buy more sunglasses than Brother Jerry. He sees a new one that hits the thing. I like that. Does it look good on me, John? Yes, yes, sir. I'll have this one, please. John, do you like anything? I like this one. It's get it. Come. He likes to buy sunglasses. Some people like to shoot animals. <laughs> you didn't see that coming, eh? <laughs> I mean, some people like to ride bicycles, they like to run. Some people, I mean, whatever, you know, tickles your fancy. You know, just uh, laugh while you're being tickled. <laughs> Have fun. You know, enjoy life. So, I'm telling you this because sometimes when you come here on a Sunday uh, and you hear a message from me on Sundays, it's quite serious. And uh, it's, it's necessary for it to be serious because I don't get that much time to talk to you. I have very little time that I or the other pastors can talk to you from the pulpit. And so you might feel like a lot of the time you come to church and it's a serious message. And uh, it needs to be. Because uh, with all the joy that we have in life, we're also dealing with serious matters. Right? And uh, one of the ways you get to enjoy life is when you take care of the serious things first. So first things first, you've got to take care of serious things first and then God gives you all things to enjoy. Amen. So you can't, you can't actually have real joy if you haven't taken care of the serious things first. And uh, because there's always this lingering thing of you, you, know, you haven't taken care of the, the things that you need to be responsible for. So then you don't get to have a full, you don't give yourself fully over to the joy. Right? Well, I mean, that's the, that's the way it works with God too. If you don't give yourself to God, then you can't really enjoy all of His goodness because you're not taking care of the serious things in God first. Yeah. Yeah, ne. Yeah, near. Hallelujah. So I just want to clarify something for you today. The world does not have a corner on joy. And the world does not have the rights to fun and the church have the, all the serious stuff. 
I'll tell you what, have you heard the saying that the world says a lot? Work hard and play hard. Why do you think they say that? Because you can't play hard unless you worked hard first. Yes? So, I mean, they don't, that's not like supreme wisdom or anything. You know, that's just, that's just, they recognize what's got to come first. But they also recognize that you can't live your life just with all of the serious stuff. You've got to have party time. So our stuff is commingled. We work hard and we play hard in God all the time. That's the beauty about being in God is that He fills you with goodness and joy all the time as you go about the serious stuff. And so you, you have this, this equilibrium, this balance and steadiness in life. I can enjoy life, but I can be serious all at the same time. You've also heard that saying, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yes? I mean, you can do two things at once. I mean, I know women think that men can't do that. You know, women think that men can only do one thing at a time and you've got to spell it out to them nicely. Otherwise, they just don't pay attention and they can't do more than one thing at a time. I just want the woman to know you're wrong. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yes, we can. Thank you, Pastor John. <laughs> but so can the woman. And uh, so we can be about the Father's business and be serious, but have joy at the same time. Amen. And have right. all of the good things that God has for us. Yes. And you know, the, the, the Jews in the Old Testament complained about that because they didn't understand what God had for them. And they said, look at all these people are having fun and they party and nothing happens to them. And we, yeah, we people, we do all the, more, the, the mournful things like obey the 10 commandments and we have to tithe and give our money to God. And so we are like those who mourn and walk around with a long face. We're all of those people that, that are in the world, they don't tithe and they don't have to obey the commandments and they just have a whole lot of fun. And the Lord says, hold on a minute, your words are against me. What do you think? I'm the God that's trying to keep you in bondage. I'm the God that's wanting to deliver you because those guys that you think are having all the fun, they're heading for destruction. And that's the deception of the devil is that he'll take you to destruction and you won't even know it's coming. Because you will have so much fun when you get there, while you're going there and then suddenly the fun's gone. Yeah, but you don't know me. I'm very capable. I'm very talented, I'm very capable, I'm very smart, and I've got all the angles covered. The devil won't catch me out. Besides, I'm a Christian, and I have enough of God in me that the devil won't catch me out. I guarantee you that he's already got you. Just because you think like that, he's already got you. Yeah, yeah, ne. Praise the Lord. So one of, the, one of the fun things we do is we do a crit. And today we're doing a crit at three o'clock. And so you're invited. Come and see how much fun we had rub, have riding a bicycle. Yes. And you can get a Burevors roll or some, something nice there too. You know, listen, when you, when you use up a thousand uh, calories, then you can eat something nice. If you don't use a thousand calories, you shouldn't eat something nice. 
Hey, no. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay. <clears throat> so God is the God of, of goodness, isn't He? Yes, yes. God is a God of goodness. God is a God of blessing. God is a God who is the ultimate Father. Okay, come on, I'm, I'm going to minister the Word of God to you now in my language, our language. Do you think a good father would just constantly do bad things to his kids? Or do you think a good father wants to create a good home, a good environment, the possibilities of a good future for his kids? A good father wants to do that, right? And so if a father, a natural human father wants to discipline his children, he will do it for a reason. And the reason is so that they can go higher and further. Not to hurt them. I remember the years when I used to give Bryn and Garth hardings up the boat, on the bare bum. Bend, pain. <laughs> yeah, I remember the day I gave Bryn a hiding and he didn't cry. Well, actually it was Sharon first. Sharon gave Bryn a hiding and he didn't cry. He just looked at her. So then uh, I came home and she told me, I said, okay, I see what's happening here. And from that time, Till the end of when they stopped getting hidings, they never did that to Pastor Sharon again. <laughs> You're killing me! You're killing me! How are you killing me? <laughs> they went from looking at her to trying to manipulate her, you know. So Father doesn't do that because you're trying to hurt them. You do that because you're trying to love them into good things. You're trying to focus them, sharpen them and give them the, the, the boundaries of life that are necessary for you to grow in. So God being a good God, He's not trying to, he's not trying to make bad things come to us. He's trying to make sure that we are in a good position to have good things. Yes? He wants to make sure that we're in a good position to have good things. And so he's got to constantly be working with you and me to make sure that we're all set up for the good stuff. Now, any correction that starts from a father to a child starts with a word. And it almost always says, I want you to do that, but do it like this. Or it might start with, don't do that. What does the words do? The words give boundaries. What are the boundaries for? The boundaries are not there for, uh, to limit the, the scope of what a child can do. The boundaries are there are to teach them how to maximize their potential, to maximize what they've got. Some of you look a little bit unsure about what I'm telling you. So when young people grow up and they become adults, they are used to understanding boundaries. Not limitations, but boundaries. Boundaries are important because if you go off on the wrong boundary into the wrong stuff, 
then you're likely to get hurt. I mean, if you, if you go to driving lessons in a motor car, they will teach you that the yellow line on the one side is a boundary and the white line in the middle of the road is another boundary. They want you to drive in the boundaries. They're not trying to limit where you can go. They're just trying to say where you are going, you need to stick within these boundaries. Why? It's for your safety. It's so that you can make progress. It's that you can go from A to B because you do it safely in the boundaries. That's right. That's good. Amen. Amen. So when Jesus comes through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, through a messenger like me and says, hey guys, let's go to the maximum. Let's go to the highest level attainable. Let's step up and step into it. But He has your boundaries. He's not trying to say, no, don't do anything. He's saying, I want you to get there. So you got to get there in these boundaries. Without those boundaries, we wouldn't know where to go. I mean, it's part of the reason why people like to do what they call overlanding now. And those are people that put special, you know, shock absorbers on their, on their cars and they put tents on their roof and stuff and they go overlanding. And they go on roads that have no boundaries because they want, to, they want to experience some risk and they want to experience some of the, the freedoms that go with it. But anybody that drives a vehicle like that will tell you they still have boundaries. And you know what the boundaries are? They self-imposed boundaries because they've got to protect their vehicle. Without the vehicle, they ain't going anywhere. So now they don't have boundaries on the road, but they have boundaries that they self-impose on the, that's dependent on the terrain that they go. So if, if you have a vehicle that's got to cross some water, people that go overlanding, they will tell you, get out the car and they'll roll up their pants or they'll take their shoes off or whatever. And they'll go walk through the water because they want to see how deep it is. And they want to see if there's something hidden under the water that their car might get, get bumped into or get stuck with. And because once you're in the water, you're in a whole world of different probabilities or, or, or problems and, and things that could happen to you. So now there's no painted lines, but there are other boundaries. It doesn't matter what environment you find yourself in, you're going to have boundaries. So there are the self-imposed boundaries or they're environmentally imposed boundaries or they're legal, Im legally imposed boundaries. Perhaps you might say socially Im social imposed boundaries. So when your kids are growing up, they're learning all about these things because you teach them. So when you grow up, you become a person that imposes boundaries. Now, am I, am I giving you a good picture of how God the Father says? If you as earthly fathers know how to give these kinds of things to your kids, if you ask for a bread, are you going to give him a snake? No. If your kid needs food to eat, you're going to give them food. So if, if your new as a natural father know how to give good things to your kids, how much more? Does the heavenly Father know how to give good things to you? Is that in dispute? Why would that ever be in dispute in your life? Why would you think anything else other than your heavenly Father wants to have you give you good things? Why would that be in dispute? 
I mean, it would never be. Right? So, God wants us to walk. In particular, God has brought us as a church, as a ministry. He's brought us to this point in time where He says, Hey, church, you are well positioned. You are well positioned because of the apostolic call that you're called to, the message, messenger and the message that you are ready to receive, you are well positioned to go to the maximum, to go to the highest level attainable. You're well positioned to step up and step into the things that I've got for you. So it's clear that we have an invitation to that. It is also clear that God has spoken and said, don't abort the plan of God for your life. Because if you abort the plan of, your God, of God, you've got nothing to birth into your future. I'm not going to go there again. But that's what he said last week. Yeah, ne? And so this week and going into the next two more Sundays after today, the Lord has got me focused on, a, on the future. And so today, I'm going to be talking to you about cooperation. First and last, cooperation. So we've had the invitation, the abortion, and cooperation. Aha. Uh-huh. Are you all ready for this? Yes. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. I'm merely wanting to you to say that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, so I stand here today by the will of God, not by my own will. I stand here by the will of God. There are many, many churches around the world where there are people that are on the pulpit today or will be on a Sunday that are in church. They are not necessarily there by the will of God. They are there because they have an institutionally recognized diploma or degree and that gives them the right to stand in a pulpit and talk to people. Paul, the apostle, is making it clear that he's there by the will of God. Now, you have, you have a decision to make and the decision that you have to make is, do you receive the fact that God has placed in this pulpit a messenger that is here by the will of God? If you receive the fact that God has placed in this pulpit a messenger that's here by the will of God, then you have to receive the fact that God is speaking through the messenger. Because I'm here by His will, not by my own will. Now, I'm going to be talking quite a lot over the next couple of sessions that we're going to be together. Sundays we're going to be together. I'm going to be talking quite a lot uh, from the book about the church in Ephesus. To the saints, and he's writing this book in Ephesians, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints that are in Ephesus. I could say to the saints that are in Whitbank or to the saints more accurately to the saints that are in heritage of faith. To the saints that are in heritage of faith, I speak by the will of God who sent me. 
I speak to the saints who are at heritage of faith. And, and those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of things that we stand for as a ministry that are not received by people because they're not faithful. And faithfulness is a premium requirement by God for His people. Because it means two things. You've got to be full of faith and you've got to have your faith be full. So if you're full of faith and your faith is full, then you will use the full faith to keep standing and be full of faith for those around you and in life. Amen. Okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to take the first shot across the bows towards you today. And uh, here it is. Is there anything more powerful in a Christian's life than faith? Okay, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more. If you have the love of God and if you have uh, the Spirit of Christ in you, those would obviously be the things that you need to have, the love of God. Then is there anything more powerful than the force of faith? It's the most powerful thing you have. <clears throat> it's not potential. The biggest thing that you have in life is not potential. That is a worldly view of looking at your future to say my future is full of potential. Oh, Pastor John, now, you, yeah. now you've got some serious shots that you fired off here. Oh, that's good. But, but either the Word of God is going to stand and speak for itself or it's not. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about... Let's talk about the plan of God for every person. When God births you into the earth, do you think that He is worried about what other people think your potential is? Or do you think He's more concerned about you fulfilling what He's called you to be? What He birthed you to be? So He, I mean, He's much more concerned about you doing what He birthed you to do into the earth than what other people think about you. So here you go. God has birthed you into the earth, okay? He's birthed you into the earth. Here you are, and He's put brain power into your brain, and He's put DNA capabilities into your body. So as you're growing up, suddenly you discover, wow, I can really excel in academics. And or maybe you just got high level of sporting capability. You just have good hand-eye coordination, and so here you go, you're, uh, you're, you're kind of learning about academics and you 
throwing a ball or you're kicking a ball or, you, or you're swimming or you're doing something and it becomes obvious to people watching you that you have some potential. So they are observing what you can do and they're measuring your potential future based on what you can do. And they have asked God about what you're born for? They don't ask God what you're born for. They're just looking at what you can do. Huh? So the devil, he came to Adam and Eve and he said, I heard what God said you can do or you can't do. So I'm going to directly bring something to you to make you choose what you can do. Not what you must be, but what you can do. So give up what you must be so that you can substitute it with what you can do. So God's not interested in what you can do because He's given you all the can do in Him who lives in you. Now when you do everything that by the one that's in you, you can do everything. I found myself one day in a business meeting and uh, you know, I was the senior manager allocated to that form of business and so we had a problem with a business partner and uh, you know, there were some serious things on, uh, at risk if the, if the meeting went sideways and uh, I came into the meeting, I was there early 15 minutes early, I was in the meeting and I was in the boardroom and I'm standing in the boardroom and I'm just praying in the spirit. They brought me a glass of water. There was some tea there and I just wait. No one else was in the room. The salesperson was out, you know, arranging for other people, doing whatever needed to be done and I was waiting for everybody to arrive in the boardroom. And so I'm just standing there and I just begin to pray in the spirit, just quietly. Why am I doing that? Because I'm tapping into the can-do of what He can do because now I'm recognizing who I am, not what other people think I can be. I know who I am in Him. So Lord, I need your wisdom and I need your help in this meeting. In an instant, the Holy Spirit fell upon me like a blanket, he fell on me with his anointing, his presence. And I started to laugh. Out of my belly, a river of laughter came out of my mouth. I laughed. I'm standing there at the window in the boardroom and I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm not going crazy. I'm not shouting and screaming and jumping up in a bad dust belly laugh that came out of my spirit. <laughs> and as I laughed, the anointing got stronger and I said, no, Lord, not now. Not now. I can't afford for all of these, you know, people to come into the boardroom here and I'm laughing. I said, please, Lord. And the Holy Spirit said, I got this covered, John. I said, okay, then I laughed some more. And like in an instant, the Holy Spirit just lifted 
off me. And I thought, oh, and they walked into the room. Like the Holy Spirit doesn't know when they're coming down the passage. You know, like the Holy Spirit doesn't know everything that's going on all the time. And He's going to leave me hanging there like laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and I can't control it and, you know, all that stuff, you know. No, He knows what's going on. But they came and they sat around the table. I mean, just five minutes. Over. We recommitted our commitment to each other. The so-called complicated problem wasn't so complicated. After all, it was like they knew what the problem was. They knew that they committed to solving their part and we committed to solving our part and dish, there we go. I don't think we were in the boardroom there 15 minutes and that was all the pleasantries involved too. Problem solved, off we go, relationship intact. What happened? I tapped into what he can do, not what I can do. So if I go back to the office now and you go and talk to the other directors of the company, senior people in the company, they hear about this difficult problem that could have derailed a very serious partnership and they expected there to be lots of stuff that would have come out of a meeting like that. You know the draw. Maybe you don't. You know, but... So it's like that, you know, you, uh, we'll work on that, you work on that, and you have feedback meetings, and then, you know, all these kind of things got to happen, and, and it's like everybody expected lots of resources to be spent on fixing the problem. Nothing. Just my clerk. So then, what do you think they say about me? Their worldview, the way they see me. Gee, that Ben Dixon, he's talented, eh? He's got potential, hey? He's got it, yeah. If you've got a problem, go talk to him. He can make things happen. In fact, when I was in the corporate world, they, they, my managing director kind of made a soft decision. He says, before we employ anybody that's at a certain seniority level and upwards, John's got to make his recommendation and give a nod to that person because Whoever John says is the right person, that's the right person. It was like an unspoken thing. What was it? I was tapping. See, they see me as talented, potential. They see me as someone that's got skill. That's got, I mark, I check their boxes. I didn't see it their way at all. I tapped into him. His wisdom flowing in me was at work And so they've got one view of it, but I'm following his plan for my life, not theirs. So I'm cooperating with him. I'm not operating by me. You see, when I operate in my stuff, I can't cooperate with his stuff. That's what the Lord says. You, you, You can't be of two minds. Either you're going to follow what God's saying or you've got to follow what you say. Well, uh, Pastor John, I happen to think that you can do both. Huh. Good luck to you. That's what the word says. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. All of his ways. If you're double-minded. So, hmm, what about my skill and my talent and what I know about life and, and, and all of that? Well, Here's what I can tell you. Whatever success you've achieved up till now, whatever you thought you've done well at, 
Why don't you just look at it and say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do all of this in Him from now. I'm going to take all of what I can do and do it in Him and let's see how far we can go. I don't want you to go backwards and say, what could I have done in the past? There's no point in that. What can we fix about what's gone past? Can't do that. What we can do is to say, I don't want to operate in Him. I want to cooperate with Him. I mean, I don't want to operate in me or with what I can do. I want to cooperate with Him. The more I cooperate with Him, the more I'm likely to fulfill His plan for me. He's calling for me. The reason He birthed me. See, the whole world system is designed to make you think that you were just a mistake or you were just a function of, of the biological thing that happened. And, and so, and yeah, it's, a, it's the development of the species because you weren't born from a plan of God. This was just an explosion of some kind of life mass that came together. And so now we're all here. I had opportunity to go and uh, speak with Dr. Nico on a professional, for a professional reason recently. And he was just talking to me and showing me all of the stuff that had just happens in the ear and how the ear connects with the brain and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he was just saying to me, the more, the more you actually study science and you study medicine, the more you actually have to believe that God is. Because there's no way that this stuff all happened just because some amoeba forms came together. And then, by the way, we all, all of us, have, the, have this ability to choose our future and what we can believe or not believe. We have this ability. And that came from just a mass of cells just suddenly happening because of a big explosion. You need more faith to believe that than to believe in God. And then they say, no, we don't have faith. Ah, uh, Yes then you don't believe in anything. No, then you believe what you believe. So you still believe in something. In you. And those people want to tell us we've got to evaluate our future with potential. Those people tell us everything we have to measure is based on talent and skill and all of that. Those people are all about measuring the human stuff because they have no power available to them other than the human measurement. Performance. God says, I'm not interested in performance. I want you to cooperate with my power. So Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are His workmanship. Do you see that? On the, is this the Bible here? You and me, we are? We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, let me, let me talk to you for a little bit. Here's a young sportsman who's got lots of potential. He's got potential, potential, potential. He's got potential. Get him into our program, work him, got to build him, got to get him going. He's on the field, he's on a court, he's in a pool, he's running, he's on a bicycle, whatever your discipline, whatever. Suddenly something happens and he tears a ligament in his ankle or he, or he 
severely damages his knee. And now, all of the stuff that you think is so valuable to you, you are now limited to just one little ligament. And now we'll operate and we'll put a, we'll put a, you know, artificial one in and then you got to go, ask Chris Froome. So that's my sport. Ask Chris Froome. Chris Froome, it's one, he's, he's uh, won four Tours de France. He wants to be in the record books as one of only two people, I think, that have won the Tour de France five times. So he's cycling, he's cycling, He's pushing the limits as he always does. Because how do you win a Tour de France if you're not pushing the limits? He's on the bike, he's pushing the limits. He comes off his bike over the handlebars, over the side of the road, into a ditch. Break, break, break. Break his femur, break his ribs, break his collarbone, break things, break, break, break. Two years he's been rehabilitating in the hope that he can come back for one more shot at one more Tour de France so he can be called a legend. That's his purpose? Because he's got talent? I wonder if God didn't actually purpose to take the drive that he put in him like he put in Apostle Paul, that personality that's got drive for his kingdom to go and get new territories and drive and push and push for things and become a messenger of of a mission or something that might seem impossible to others, but to him it would be possible. Exactly right. Because of the way just that he sees things. I wonder if that's not what God would have had for him in the first place. Ah, but he's got talent and he's got to push the talent. Yeah, because men say, give me your talent and I'll give you money. You give me your talent, I'll reward you with fame and with money. So that's what life's all about. You might say, oh, well, Pastor John, it's got a lot to do with it. I've got something, I've got some good news for you. Whatever they can do with talent, whatever they can do with skill and potential, you got faith. That's right. And your faith can do more than any of their talent put together. That's right. Any of their so-called potential and the way they measure life, your faith. Why? Because you are created in Christ Jesus for His workmanship. For you to do good works for Him. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in the good works that He's prepared for us. What's He asking for? Cooperation. He's asking for us to cooperate. If you cooperate, I've got good works for you to walk in. Who's the rewarder of you walking in those good works? Come on, somebody answer me, please. God. God. Is He not the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him? He is the rewarder. So in the world, if you are performance-based, you're going to be rewarded. By who? People that can take the reward away from you very quickly. Like that, they can change the rules. I'm busy, I'm busy reworking stuff in the Laban syndrome. But the Laban syndrome is a very real force that's here that the devil put into the, into the earth so he can control the future of people. Because that scripture that we, that God has put, just put it up on the board for us, put it on the screen again for me, please. That scripture. He's created, we are His workmanship. He created in Christ Jesus for good works that which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's created us 
to walk in stuff that He's got prepared for us. What the enemy wants to do is create a syndrome of performance to measure you so you're always saying, do I measure up? Do I, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Look at that person's doing better than me. So by default, you must compare in order to measure. And God says, I don't care for comparison. I want to show you my power. I do not care for comparison because you can't compare faith because He gave us all faith. So when we have faith, we don't have to compare and we don't have to compete because we all got faith. Do you know why the world wants to compete? Because they want to give an impossible dream to the majority of people so that the world can control what's going on through a few elite, powerful, rich people. And that stems all the way to the devil who said, I can compete with Jesus. I can compete with God the Father. I'm comparing myself to Him and I can compete with Him and my performance is as good as God's. So I'm gonna take the elite of the angels with me so that I can show God that we are the elite. And to this day, he's still trying to prove that he is more or equal to what God is. He's trying to compare. He's, so how does he do that? To us. He makes us compare and compete and perform because that's the only thing He knows. I'm preaching really good today. I'm teaching really good today. So God wants us to cooperate with Him, not for us to operate on our own. So Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Okay? He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He can. He can. He can. Let me tell you something. I am not Lionel Messi. Do you know who he is? Does everybody know who Lionel Messi is here? Uh, so that shows you how big a name he is. If the majority of you know who he is, probably the greatest footballer ever born. I mean, some people may say Pele was that, maybe, but uh, certainly the way the world measures things, you have to say that Messi, who's won the footballer of the world award, the year, footballer of the year world award has won it six times. No other man has ever won it. He has won the World Cup. He's won Champions League. He's won Spanish Leagues. He's won French Leagues. Everything there is to win in football, he's won it. So, <clears throat> do I need to stand in awe of this man? I'll tell you what, this has been, this has been uh, my saving grace if you like, it, was, it is also perhaps what some people might have considered to be a problem for me because I have never been starstruck by, by people. Yeah. Never. Yeah. I've never been starstruck by sports people or by, by famous people or by wealthy people. Yeah. 
I've never been starstruck by them. I've always been starstruck by Jesus. That's a real thing in my heart. I've never ever wanted to be like any other sportsman. I've always wanted to be like Jesus. I mean, as a kid, when I was growing up, I had fanciful ideas. I thought I was going to be the next Kevin Keegan in soccer. You know. If you don't know who he is, then you're too young. Anyway, and you also weren't a Liverpool supporter, but okay. I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you've got, you've got uh, dreams and passions that you kind of live in that world a little bit, you know. But when you become more of a grown-up person, you realize, actually, you, there's some things you've got to do in life that God wants you to do. And so you don't have a, like a boyhood passion drive you for the rest of your life. You actually grow up into becoming a mature man and recognizing who you are in Christ and what God's created you to become. I just preached a whole good sermon in a few words there. I really did. And so... If I'm if I living by faith, uh, you know, Brother Jerry told us a story. I've heard it many times, so I can't remember if he said it this last time or a previous time, but he told a story about where he was, what was it, Brother Joe now? Uh, he was in a bank and this guy collapsed. It was Brother Joe, right? And this man collapsed in the bank and they, they called the emergency response team. And so Brother Joe immediately knew this guy's dying. And so he, he prayed in the spirit, spoke life to him, commanded him to live and not die. And that guy's life was saved. Let me tell you that it doesn't matter how much potential you've got, how much skill you've got, how much talent you've got. I don't care how educated you are. There's a time when only God can intervene and faith is the only thing that can work for you. It's the only time that, uh, the only thing that you've got is faith. So, you know what this does is that tells every person who really willing to give God everything. It should tell every person that God will not manage your future by your human potential. He's not going to limit your future based on your human potential. You have a limitless future based on your cooperation with Him. This should be really good news for you. This should be really good news for you. You have limitless possibilities if you cooperate with God. I'm going to not be able to finish my message today, but I've got a few more things to share with you. Are you ready to hear them? Revelations chapter one, verse three says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. 
Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Now, this is directly referring to the book of Revelation. So blessed is the person who reads the book of Revelation. Blessed is the person who hears someone speak about the prophecies that are contained in the book of Revelation. But this also is a bigger principle of blessed is he who reads and hears the words of a messenger that is sent by God with a message. Will hear and who will read and who will do it. Blessed is he. So what is God requiring? He's requiring cooperation. Cooperation. Are you ready to cooperate with God? Hey, are you ready to cooperate with God? There is nothing you can't do if you cooperate with God. So, faith can do anything. But in the human world, we are limited. We have, a, we have a, a locomotive train hurtling at the human race at a rate of knots. And we have no idea yet the implications of what this charging train is going to bring into our world. It's called artificial intelligence. If we, could, if we could reverse ourselves, is it okay if I just talk to you for a few minutes here? If we could reverse ourselves as a, as a, as a human race, let's just say we could take ourselves out of this time that we're in right now and we could go backwards 20 years before social media. Just talking about one advancement, social media. Facebook, Instagram, all of the social media things that that has developed. If we could take a look at the human, the human involvement, the way people interact, the way people behave, the way people are, are living with each other, and we could take a snapshot of a whole group of people. Let's take, let's take a number of these young people here and we put them in a restaurant having milkshake together 20 years ago versus these young people in a restaurant together now 20 years later. And we evaluate what has become of them as people Social skills, the view of life, their attitude, the moods that they have, the way they see authority, the way that they respond to uh, values rather than entertainment. 
and we could evaluate what they were 20 years ago and just bring it forward 20 years and just compare what has become of our society. Not these guys, these guys are amazing. But what's become of our society as far as the younger people are concerned. I wonder if the collective mindset of the world would say, hey, if that's the price that we have to pay in society, let's not develop this technology. Let's not do it because look what has become of our people. They can't talk anymore. They can't share ideas with articulation anymore. They are unwilling to have conversations and to develop conversations out of their own creative imagination. They've got to always refer to something on a screen. They don't have respect for authority anymore or older generations. They think old people don't have it because they don't know what to, how quickly to type with their thumbs on a screen. So they don't have it. If you're older than 30, you're too old. That's what young people that are 17, 18 think now. So I wonder if we could take everybody and go back 20 years and look 20 years ahead and see what's become of the society and all of the murders and all of the, uh, and all of the society breakdown that has happened because of social media. I wonder if we wouldn't make a different decision and say, Whatever it takes, stop it. Let's hang the guy who started Facebook. Let's fry his brain for a bit. Make him squirrely. Because if we could go back 20 years and see how much value-based living was happening there, values, how much principle-based living was in our world then. And I'm only going back 20 years to what is now. What has become of our world? Oh, now we have to go to our schools, our high schools, and we've got to refer to everybody as an it. You can't even talk about him or her anymore. You've got to refer to whoever their gender preference is in high school. Now it's even going to the primary school. They want children that are as, as young as eight or nine years old, they want to teach them that you can be growing up as gender fluid. Where do you think all of this started? It didn't start with our current day social media. It started 20 years ago with Facebook. Probably before that when they took God out of the schools. But, I, you know, I can keep going backwards. But I wonder if we wouldn't make a different decision. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because we think we can operate comfortably with our own values and our own principles in that system. Let's take it further and say, no, we know we can operate in that system because I've got what it takes. You know, wherever I go, I rectify. I make people look me in the eye. I make people talk to me. Excuse me for spitting. 
That doesn't happen if you're on social media. It's a, it's a necessary discomfort of being in my company. <laughs> anyway, you know, you can say, I, I am an influencer and I will do this. And I say, okay, how many people are you touching? Face to face, person to person. Well, maybe a thousand people. And you're making a difference? You, oh, you can have the starfish principle. I'm not, I might be making a big difference, but to the people I'm making a difference to, I am making a difference. Well, I'm happy about that, but I want to just show you that the system that you want to operate in is hurtling towards you faster than you can maneuver. There are more things developing to undermine your values, your principles, the way you live, and the way you think you can operate in the system. There are more things happening there to undermine you even as you adapt. So I'm adapting, I'm adapting, I'm adapting. You can't adapt fast enough. But I can operate in the system. Well, you are a single generation mindset person. Because as long as it's okay for me and my kids or me and my family or the people I'm connected to, the rest we'll take care of another time. Well, that shows you that you're only a single generation mindset person. Because if you're a multi-generational person, then you begin to think like God who thinks from the beginning to the end. And he's saying, whatever generation comes into the earth, your best chance is to cooperate with him, not to operate by yourself. It doesn't matter what generation you're born into. If you were born into the generation that Jesus was born into, you know, he was born into a generation where masculinity or the human body was idolized. I mean, that's the reason the Apostle Paul could write about people that give so much attention to their body. And he wrote and he said, physical exercise profits little. He doesn't say it profits nothing. Because people were so overboard with physical exercise, they were shaping their bodies and they were sculpturing themselves to look like God's. The body was such an important thing and the capability of the body to compete, wrestling matches, running, sports-like activities. The Greeks were famous. That's where the Olympic Games started. They were famous for the development of the human body and its competing capabilities. Jesus was born into a time when there was a dominant force on the earth called the Roman Empire who dictated what must happen on the earth. And all of that, the Apostle Paul writes, we were created for Him. We were created to be like Him, to do what He wants us to do, to do those good works. Not so that we could compete with those guys in the Olympic Games and say, look how good I can make my body. I've said this before and I know that I cop some flack for it, but that's okay. I'll take the heat. Those guys, they, in the prime of their life, check how good I am. Let's say they get born again. They get saved. Now they go into competing their games and they say, I just want to tell you that I serve Jesus Christ. He's the most high God. 
And so all those people, they stand around, they say, oh yeah, but he's just one of the gods that we serve. Serve him. I don't care. Serve him. Because he's just another god. Yeah. Oh, well, what are the other gods? Well, Aphrodite is a god. And we've got all these other gods that are the god of, you know, sex and the god of love and the god of prosperity and the god of yeah. rain and the god of the sun and the god of... Me. Oh, so you stand up there and say, look at how, how I've achieved and I serve Jesus Christ. Okay, but we serve other gods. I'm happy for you to serve that God. That's the God you choose to serve. We, 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 we let you. Be my guest. We let you. Because we want to serve our gods. That was the day that Jesus was born into and died in. Now we, in our modern day society, we place such a great value on sportsmen that will go onto a field and they will kiss a cross on their, on their thing like this and they will stand after, us after winning a game and they will, you know, kneel and pray and do something and say, look at that testimony. God wouldn't be able to use somebody if they weren't in that place. So therefore it makes it all okay to do all of that stuff so that you can have one moment in front of the world and say, Jesus is Lord. They don't care about you doing that. They say, okay, you serve that God, we all serve ours. They don't care that you serve Jesus. You're just serving that God. That's the God you choose to serve. That's right. You're not going to change their mind by doing that. No. On the contrary, you are just serving your God in the same system that we have all created to worship our gods in. That's right. So you just keep operating. As long as you don't cooperate with the living God, we just don't care how you operate. I'm preaching really good today. And so we think in the, our society that we live in that we got what it takes to maneuver ourselves in what's coming. Let me tell you, we are already, but by the grace of God, we are already so far behind the curve as the global church of the Lord Jesus. We are so far behind the curve that we don't even know how, what condition the church is in. Because the church has looked at the world system and says, we just have to make sure that we are flowing within the culture of the world system and make ourselves relevant. As long as we are relevant to the world, we are doing our job. And so the church is nothing more than another relevant organisation like Nike is, like Spur. What do they say? Spur, taste for life? What's their slogan? They're relevant. What's their relevance? They give a good product for a good price. That's what they sell their product on. They're relevant. And so the church says, We've got a good service. We've got a good message. You can connect well with people. As long as we're relevant to the world out there, then we are necessary. Huh. And that's what God wants us to be, relevant? No. No, God wants us to be spiritual. He wants us to be cooperating with Him. He wants us to operate in revelation. 
so that we can reveal the redemption of God. And when we are operating in revelation and redemption, we are the ones that create a revolution. We do it by nature, by default. I've been preaching this for years and years. Now we've got a whole bunch of people, young people that are the revolution. Yes. Meet the revolution. Meet the revolution. You didn't think I was that radical, huh? Are you all part of the revolution? Meet the revolution. Uh, but Pastor John, what are they going to do? What's their future look like? What are they going to do? Well, how about we go with the revolution and we choose to cooperate with what he says rather than keep measuring our future by what everybody else says is the thing to do. So, oh, but Pastor John, you're too radical. Someone's got to be. Someone's got to be. That's how Jesus changed everything. Someone's got to be radical first. If someone doesn't change the future, no one's going to change the future. Ah, but don't make it, don't stand up there and put me on the spot that I must make a choice. If you don't make the choice, someone's going to make it for you. And before you know it, that steam train is heading your way and it's going to knock you over and it's going to knock your future. And when you get there, you're going to say, what happened? What happened? How did we get you? And you know who they're going to turn to? Where's that radical Christian that was speaking that stuff we didn't agree with, who was saying things that we just thought was nonsense. And as long as it doesn't touch my comfort zone, I don't need to listen to him. Where's that radical Christian? He had it right from the beginning. Why? Because we're cooperating with God. I'm not trying to do something just to make you uncomfortable. I am... Sent by God to bring these messages. Just by the way, Pastor Sharon and I have always been this radical. Always. Our church has always been this radical. Do you know what's happened? The world system has just caught up with our message right now. Yes, yes. Our time has finally come. We've been preaching this radical message for 25 years. Yes. We've been living this radical message for 40 years. We've been living it. 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 We've been telling you for 40 years how to live a marriage successfully in Him where we cooperate with Him, not do it the way the world says we should do marriage. When Jesus said, I want you to give this much money. I want you to tithe. I want you to give this. I want you to do this. Trust me with your money. Don't go and tell, let the world tell you what to do with your money. Trust me. I said, yes, sir. I've got nothing to lose. I got nothing to lose. Okay, so, so you earn this much money and, and those years I've got to give this much away and this much away and this much away. Yes, let me give it. And the more I gave, the more kept coming back to me. And the more I gave, the more kept coming back to me. And God promoted me and God increased me and God has put me in the rest of my life where God has blessed me. And the blessing can't stop because the more I get, the more I give, the more I get, the more I give, the more I give, the more I get, the more I give, I get, I get. And I can't stop the blessing. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. 
You can't tell me God's system doesn't work. I'm living proof of it that it works. Yeah, but pastor, you just a pastor. No, I was living this before I was a pastor, long before that. I loved my wife long before I was in the ministry. I loved her the way the Word said I must love her, not the way the other pastors were loving their wives. Yes. The pastor that God called me to for a while, I tried to save his marriage. God used me to try and save his marriage because he got divorced. If I had done things the way that he was the mentor to make me do it, I would have been in trouble. I didn't follow his, I didn't follow his mentorship. I followed what the Word of God said. And I've told you that many times. If you can't find what I'm saying in the Word of God, don't listen to me. You got to do what the Word of God says. You got to do what the Word of God says. You got to do what the Word of God says. You got to do what the Word of God says. You got to do what the Word of God says. You got to cooperate with Him, cooperate with Him, cooperate with Him. So you can look at my life and you can say, okay, Pastor John, I see you've got some stuff going on in your life that's worthwhile. I can see how the Word of God's changed it. When you see the Word of God changed us, do that. Whatever's my stuff, don't do that. If you see how the Word of God has worked for us financially, you can follow that example. I say like the Apostle, wherever you see Christ working in my life, follow that example. But if you see me in my humanity, don't follow that. Because that's not going to win you anything or benefit you anything. But I can tell you that next week, I'm going to continue with this message because the Apostle Apostle John, the Apostle John was... uh, on an island and he was held captive on this island. Come on, we're having so much fun in church today. I know you don't even want me to quit. Even though my alarm clock rang. Come on. We're having a lot of fun. This is fun, man. I'm telling you, we kick the devil in the teeth. It's fun. It's fun. We're creating a revolution. It's fun. This is fun. Hallelujah. The Apostle John, you know, they put him on an island and he's there on an island. He's actually a prisoner on the island. He can't leave the island. And God appears to him. He says, John, write down this vision that I'm going to show you. Write it down. And so God speaks to him about seven churches. Seven churches. So I'm just going to give you some background today and we're going to pick it up next week. You okay with this? Church, just want to show you this. I will give you more details about this next week. Church, Ephesus. I'm going to show you what happens in the church of Ephesus because God wants us to go to the maximum, the highest level attainable. And there's things that happen in the spirit when you cooperate with God, both what God wants and what the enemy will try and stop. And you need to be aware of both things. Because things will happen to you, but you have to manage it by faith, not try and manage the natural world around you. You've got to manage it with your faith. So, if you don't know this, I'm about to tell you, and you can thank me later. 
The Apostle Paul is called, is separated by God, by the apostles, uh, the, the disciples, the first apostles, him and Barnabas to go and preach the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he goes to Asia to preach the gospel. One of the cities that he goes to is a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was such a powerful, vibrant city full of trade and academia and all of the things. It was a very powerful, vibrant city. It was also a city that was given to elevating religious beliefs or the worship of gods. And so there was lots of idols and temples that were built in the city of Ephesus because it was such a free society that it, would, it gave freedom to all manner of sexual practices. It gave freedom to all manner of religious beliefs. It gave freedom to all manner of academia, thought and philosophies. It gave freedom to all manner of trade and, and commerce and many things. It was what in our modern day world would call a vibrant, dynamic city. Maybe it would be equivalent to a London or a New York or or a, or a Paris or one of those where anything goes. And if you could make it in that city, you could make it anywhere. The Apostle Paul goes as an apostle into the city of Ephesus and God has him preach the gospel in Ephesus. Now, do you remember when, when Jesus was dying? He was on the cross. He looks down at the disciple, the apostle John, and he says to John, he says, John, behold your mother, Mary. You remember that? If you don't remember it, go read it. He says, John, behold your mother, Mary. And from that moment onwards, John accepted the responsibility of looking after Jesus' mother, Mary. So John finds himself living in Ephesus with most likely Mary. There is enough credibility in manuscripts to say that Mary lived with John on the outskirts of the city of Ephesus. Are you with me? John is now on the island of Patmos and the Lord says to him, I've got a revelation for you. Write a letter to seven churches. What's the first church he writes about? Ephesus. Then there are six more churches. Why did he first write to Ephesus? Because the other six churches were birthed out of the first church of Ephesus. So when he talks about Thyatira, Laodicea, uh, um, Philadelphia, Pergamum, all of Thyatira, all of those, Sardis, the church at Sardis, all of those cities came out of Ephesus. So when God gives John the vision to write to the seven churches, he hits Ephesus first because it was the founding church. Now Ephesus was a very, very powerful city and there was lots of spiritual activity happening there. I'm going to read to you in the book of Acts next week where Paul the apostle is about to go to Jerusalem under the prophetic word of God. He's about to go to Jerusalem where he knows he's gonna be captured and he's gonna end up in Rome. 
The word of God had already spoken that to him. Prophecies. So he's about to see the church of Ephesus for the last time, having been there for a number of years and teaching them. And as he's about to leave, he calls, he's in a different city, but he calls the elders of Ephesus to the city that he's in because he had to flee Ephesus. And he calls the elders and he charges the elders and he tells them, I'm leaving. I won't see your faces again. The Lord has told me that when I go, there are going to be people that come into the church, ravenous wolves, false teachers, false prophets, false apostles that are going to want to draw the people of God after themselves. Why? Because the climate in Ephesus was ripe to follow charismatic philosophers. People that said, we represent God's so we recognize that there's this God, Jesus, and we will speak for Jesus so long as we can draw people after ourselves. What for? So we can look important and we can draw money. So we will get on this bandwagon. Paul, the apostle says, there's people coming that are going to be like wolves. They're gonna come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're gonna try and devour it. There are those that are gonna try and dis divide it, draw people after themselves. And he says, but now I'm leaving in your care, the church. He's talking to the elders. Fast forward, the apostle John, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. Here's what Jesus says about the church in Ephesus. He says to them, I've, this thing, I commend you for it, that you are strong in your ability to examine everybody that comes into the church and check them out as if, if they are true or false. And you have developed this capability to make sure that false people don't come into the church but I've got something against you, Ephesus. You have lost your first love. So we've become so important. We've become so focused on our mission that our mission and our assignment is to protect the church from false teaching, false people, that we've become so fixated on that. Jesus says, you've lost your first love. I'm going to take you back in time next Sunday to some key moments that the Apostle Paul and the city of Ephesus faced with disciples. First of all, the Apostle Paul and then with the disciples. We're going to talk about this because if we are going to fully cooperate with God, we've got to understand that God is wanting to do something significant with us. And what we have to be sure of doing is that as we cooperate with God, that we don't become so fixated on the revolution that the reason for the revolution is lost. And we got to say, we accept the revolution, but we got to not forget about our first love, which is Jesus. Amen. Jesus is always our first love. We've always got to say, we love Jesus. 
We love Jesus. We love his word. We love what he's got for us. And all those good things, we don't want to serve God for the good things. We want to serve Jesus for who he is. Then the good things come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is my desire by the Holy Spirit that we learn to cooperate fully that we learn to cooperate fully with Jesus, that we learn to cooperate with the body of Christ, with each other, and that, that we will find ourselves in a place with such, such recognition of the times that we live in, such recognition of the power that we walk in, such wonder of how much we've got in faith that we don't have to depend on the world system to get anything done. We have to depend on our walk with Him. Are you ready for cooperation? And not self-operation. Hallelujah. Won't you all stand with me, please? Amen. Did you get something out of this today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is our teacher. The Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us into all truth. I am a vessel. I stand and I speak in the best possible way that God would have me speak. And, uh, and I, got to count, I got to depend and count on the Holy Spirit to make alive to you the things that you need to have, the things that you need to hear. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And when you put your hand on your, on your heart like this on your chest, and say, I trust Jesus. I serve Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. I put Him first in my life. I will cooperate with Him fully in Jesus' name. And wherever I'm weak, I trust He makes me strong in Jesus' name. I will not self-operate I will cooperate in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that the Word of God fills you with all joy, that the Holy Spirit rests upon you, that He just fully overwhelms you, and that you wake up every day full of the joy of the Lord. And you are strengthened with mighty power in the inner man fully aware of all the good things that He has for you in every day, in every moment of every day, as you follow in Him and cooperate with Him. I pray that you are blessed in everything you put your hands to. You will prosper in it. Wherever your feet go, whatever directions God takes you in life, that you will be blessed by that. And I pray that no weapon formed against you, against your health, against your income, against all of your family, all of the things, no weapon formed against you will prosper. You are protected by the Word, the blood of Jesus and all the angels that God gives His angels charge over you to protect you. And I declare the blessing of God upon you this week. I declare that He gives you visions and dreams and insights into mysteries. And I declare in the name of Jesus that you will follow and cooperate with Him into the magnificence and the wonder of all of the mighty power that so majestically works in you that you will be able to respond to it and cooperate with it for all the good works that He's called us to do. Do you receive that? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming to church.